Uh, yeah, 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 uh, Miami, uh, uh, South Beach, bringing the heat, uh, <laughs> can y'all feel that, can y'all feel that, jig it out, uh, here I am in the place where I come let go, in Miami, the base and the... Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Life in Paradise podcast, I'm your host, the great Reverend Jesse Jackson, we come here today in order to stand up against repression, depression, suppression, oppression. We are not here. I'm just kidding. It's me, your favorite host, Brandon Harper. And this is the Life in Paradise podcast. I come here about once a week, get things off my chest. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots of opinions. Most of the time I sound frustrated, but it's really not that bad. I live in Corpus Christi, Texas. I'm an owner and I operate an Oasis Brewing Company. When I started this podcast, I lived in San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, and I've just kept it going with a little break in between. I'm of the opinion that we can disagree without being disagreeable, and I think the world has too many people fighting about things they don't know about. But I'm not going to go too far into that here. If you remember, there's something I never do, and that's pre-recorded intros. So without further ado, sit back. Relax and give me the code to crank your bobcat for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. Yo, what is up, my people? I'm back. And I think I mentioned to you before that uh, I've kind of taken up home in a new building behind my house. Well, not a new building, but a different building that I did not used to podcast in. And so I'm really a sound quality geek, and I'm really trying to get this thing dialed in. It's still not perfect, but this room lends itself far better to sound quality than where I was. So it sounds a little bit different. That's because I'm in an old musky barn looking room surrounded by old fence pickets nailed to the wall but you didn't pay to come here and listen to me talk about fence pickets nailed to walls you paid oh wait you didn't pay you didn't pay i gotta figure out how to monetize this thing you know three or four hours out of my week it's a lot you know as i get older i realize how much more my free time is worth to me than it was before and i guess that's just the natural progression of getting older you know, or anything, as you, have, as you have less of something, the value becomes more. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later in terms of Bitcoin. But yeah, I've come to the realization that I don't like to do certain things. And luckily, I'm fortunate enough, or I've been blessed to be in a position whereby I can sometimes manage to do only the things that I want to do. I feel like as I go farther in life, the goal will be to do less of the things that I don't want to do and more of the things that I do want to do. And I've kind of taken the mindset of, you know, I'm not going to commit to a lot of things. I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't schedule phone calls anymore because I never know what I might be doing and I might have to sacrifice something that's more valuable or more important just because I made a commitment. And I feel like the solution to that is just don't commit to doing things. And I realize that there are certain commitments that have to be made. You have to RSVP for weddings so they can plan accordingly. And if I'm not willing to RSVP for a wedding, 
I'll just tell them, hey, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. If that's not good enough and you need to count me out, then, then go ahead. I understand. And I think it's one thing that people struggle with. They have a hard time telling people no. They really just no. It's, it's something that goes against our culture. To decline an invitation is kind of looked at as something to be rude or, or inconsiderate. And I'm on a path to change that. I mean, I completely understand if someone doesn't want to do something, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I, I don't derive any self-worth from someone wanting to go do something with me. I'm just, maybe I'm an outlier. I don't know, but it's not, it's not important to me. So it's always nice to hang out and have friends and do things. But the last thing I want is for someone to commit to doing something with me and then pass up on something that they would have enjoyed more just because they committed. Even though I will always honor my commitment. I will never commit to doing something and then back out at the last minute for no reason or a minuscule reason. I feel like if you give someone your word, you should honor it. Now, if you don't give someone your word, well, then that gives you an out. And I know there's people out there that feel the opposite, but that's what makes the world go around. I just want to encourage all you people out there to put a value on your time and remember that it's, it's finite. Once, it, once the minute ticks past, you're never going to get it back. So I think we should all, within reason, spend the time doing the things we want with the people we want to do them with and not making commitments just to fill our calendars. I really didn't have much of an intention of talking about that, but it kind of popped up in my head. So there you have it. That part's free. I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the weeks past, but this coming week I'll be venturing out to Miami, Florida with my cousin Harry to go to the Bitcoin conference. And I know... Like, there's a lot of people out there that think that has got to be, like, the nerd mecca of the century. And, yeah, it probably will. But there will be a lot of nerds riding around in Lamborghinis and, and Rolls Royces, if I had to guess. So I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot of people that are speaking that I'm excited to hear. A lot of news about what's going on in the world of blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin. I think it'll also be a good spot to maybe make some connections. I've mentioned before that I really want to get involved in the development of blockchain I think it's the way of the future, and what better way to get plugged in than to go meet people. So that is something that I'm looking forward to. What I'm not looking forward to is traveling there. You know, I told myself, I'm not going anywhere until airplanes let you fly without a mask. And had I known what I know now, I'm not sure if I would have booked this trip, but originally the CDC had set the, uh, the mask mandate to expire in early May for airplanes and, and airports. So I went ahead and booked my ticket. After I booked my ticket to the Bitcoin conference and after I bought my plane ticket, they decided they were going to extend that mandate until September. September now. And you've heard plenty shows about the mask and how I feel about the mask. I just cannot for the life of me figure out why are we still requiring it? Why are we mandating it? And I know people's first responses. Well, because it's on the airplane, and that's a lot of people in a small space, and we have to do something. Okay, what types of air filtration system do they use on these airplanes? I don't know, but COVID's dangerous, and if you don't know anyone who's died, maybe you don't know. Wrong. They use HEPA filtration, 99.9% .9 effective in stripping coronavirus from the air. But what do we do? Just like a bunch of sheep, we just follow the rules. We can't find these people who make the rules. All we can do is deal with the lemmings who enforce them. To me, that is frustrating. On a different level, it's not too dissimilar 
than the guy who threw the switch at Auschwitz. You know, when the Jews were taken to the showers. And he's like, I don't know. All I did was pull this lever. I didn't know what it was supposed to do. I didn't know what I was doing. All I did was pull a lever. That's no different than some flight attendant going like, sir, put on your mask. And someone saying, well, why do I have to wear a mask when everyone's vaccinated who wants to be? And if you're not, then you should be able to take the risk. Sir, that's just a policy, okay? I don't know. I don't make it. Why are we so willing to enforce policy that we don't even know what it's for? So if you don't know why something was made, how can you agree with it? How can you say it's the right thing to do? Well, I just want to keep my job, okay? Like, it's not worth losing my job. Okay, I get it. There's some things that aren't worth losing your job for. But if I were an employee of that company and somebody was telling me to enforce a rule that I didn't know why, I would, I would ask questions up the ladder. If they wanted to fire me or reprimand me because I want to know why I'm expected to enforce a rule that no one has given me a reason for, then that's not the place for me to work. You see, when this whole thing started, you weren't allowed to ask about the mask. You weren't supposed to. It was bad, bad behavior to wonder why we're requiring this. It turned into a political game of chess. We're arguing about the mask. We're fighting about whether or not we should wear a piece of cloth on our face. We're not arguing about whether or not science supports it. It's, it all boils down to just wear the mask, which you've heard enough about that on my podcast. And what it all boils down to, although I'm not sure if people will admit it, is that they just want to make people feel safe. You know, we're just not ready to be all crowded into a little tube together. People, we've been flying this whole time. We never shut down airplanes. Yes, we wore masks the whole time. We know now that the types of masks we've been wearing are not effective. What is effective is the HEPA air filtration system that they have on airplanes. Why can't we admit that? Why, why do we have to keep rules in place to accommodate the feelings of, of probably what's a minority of people. And if you're rolling your eyes and you're sick of hearing me talk about the mask and the mandate, then just turn off the podcast. You know, I, I don't, it's not going to bother me any. I don't have a ton of people that listen anyway. And if you're the kind of person who thinks it's wrong to question things, I don't know what to tell you. You need to live in a, a police state. You need to live in a place where no one's allowed to make any decisions. They all just have a bank of rules that they have to follow there's no risk anywhere you go. Everyone lives in a little bubble and nobody asks why. If that sounds appealing to you, you should leave America because America is the opposite of that. Okay? We don't take orders from the center of disease control. We don't, we don't take orders from a little man that calls himself a frontline caregiver, a doctor advisor guy who makes more than the president, who works for the freaking government but calls himself a doctor. I mean, why are these people making policy? There's absolutely no reason they should be. The little dude even admitted himself that he wore masks for a theater just, just, to, just to be a good example. You know, he should be incentivizing people to get their vaccines. This is what's bothering me. If they would have played the card of, hey, guys, if you go get your vaccine, if everyone gets vaccinated, we can all take our masks off. But nope, nope, here we are still. People still wearing the mask. I went out to eat the other night at a restaurant. Probably 90% of the people still walk around like zombies with a, with a piece of panties over their face. And then they sit down on top of each other. They take off the, the face diaper and they, and they breathe on each other. And, and people don't have enough common sense to question this. Like that, th This thing has shown me so much about the typical person, the typical American person. Looking back on this, I mean, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing the way that we handled this. 
we partly shut down commerce, which which did a number on our economy, which you haven't even seen yet. Okay, inflation's coming. There's shortages everywhere. And I heard I can't I can't buy brisket until August from my regular vendor. That's just one thing. It's embarrassing. What what we should have learned and what we should know going forward is that there are two options in dealing with this pandemic the next time it comes up. Because it will. Viruses do not go away. We either shut down the entire country and we lock people in their homes. That's option one. Option two, we go on about our daily lives. We take precautions. We quarantine the sick. We quarantine the the at-risk. And we move forward. This whole shutting down and starting the economy is atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. It's something that a kindergartner would have done. And, And I remember seeing people... I mean, can we just stop the economy and then, um, and then just start it, and it will be, be, it'll just be like nothing happened. It'll be just like we just paused it. I mean, if you say that, you have no idea how supply chains work. You don't understand supply and demand. You don't understand the route between farms and the grocery store, and your, your opinion should not count. Once again, I'm an advocate for a scoring system to show how much people know. If you're going to be busting out your your Facebook, you know, rants, and you're going to be posting all these things about what you think, I think that it would be awesome if there were a test that we could take and just be a a test full of knowledge and skills. And you get ranked. You get a score based on how much you know. So you could sit down, maybe you have some spare time. You're, uh, You're riding the bus to work or you get on the subway. And you're like, I got some time. Let's just see how much I know about auto mechanics. So you go and you take your auto mechanic test and the questions get increasingly harder, and eventually you get to a point where you can't answer the questions. Well, you'll get a score based on that. That score will be public. Then if you go in and you start popping off about what you know about auto mechanics, someone could look at your score and be like, dude, you scored a 14. You know nothing about auto mechanics. Then people will discount your opinion, and they won't keep fighting you. Once again, though, I'm pretty sure people are addicted to fighting on social media. And that's sad. It's sad because I think it shows that people have an outlet. They, they have an outlet to, to rid themselves or, or, or to be able to argue their points without having to do it in person. And it shows me that they're, they're too scared. People don't like having hard conversations. I don't know why. I don't know why. You should be able to remain unemotional, have a conversation about anything, and still be friends with the person. That's what my opinion is anyway. Instead, we just destroy the economy, don't ask questions, wear the mask if you want to fly, and guess what? I got to figure out how to go get some mask. I, gotta, I don't have a mask. I've never bought a mask. Uh, I wore a bandana a few times at the beginning until I realized it was stupid, and then I haven't done anything. So I'm going to have to figure out how to get some mask just so I can board an airplane. From what I understand, <laughs> you're allowed to put it down when you eat your peanuts or you drink your drink. So you can rest assured I will have an open package of peanuts next to me the whole time, along with a drink. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I'll tell you what's not ridiculous. I've got a visitor coming. He'll be here in like three weeks or so. And some of you know him, some of you don't. His name is the Wojtek. Well, his name is not the Wojtek. His name is Wojtek. And he's moving here from Nicaragua. He wants to try to start a life here in Texas, and so... He's going to stay in a little uh, guest house that I have. I'm going to try to help him get on his feet, start a landscape business, and I want to have him on the podcast regularly. We may even start another one called like Tales in Landscape Land or something. I don't know. 
But I guarantee you he's going to have a ton of stories about his landscape adventures. And this guy is one of the funniest storytellers I know. So um, that'll be coming soon. Don't, uh, don't quit on me. And we'll try not to talk about the mask and COVID too much. But I will warn you, he feels the same way that I do, probably with a little bit more anger. And he doesn't hold back. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to. The Wojtek is coming. The Polish assassin. Get ready. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to the Bitcoin conference. Um, anyone who knows me or have listened to these podcasts know that I'm all about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Now, I don't consider myself a, quote, crypto trader. Um, I'm more interested in the long-term use case of cryptocurrency and the blockchain, particularly the blockchain. So I, I have a hard time remembering what I've talked about on here sometimes. But I'm going to break down the difference. I know you've been hearing the word Bitcoin, and I think I explained to you pretty much how it works. But I know you've also been hearing the word Ethereum, and there's a few other ones as well. So I want to explain the difference between Bitcoin and its intended purpose and Ethereum and its intended purpose. And if somebody catches me, if I've already had this conversation, somebody shoot me an email and then I'll know not to have it again, I guess. But uh, I want to start with Bitcoin. It was originally designed in 2008, 2009, something like that. There was a group of guys who, they were just, crypt, they call them crypto nerds. Basically, they were into cryptography. And cryptography is just the, the idea of, of coding things or putting a, a code on things to ensure that something happens or doesn't happen. And so these guys made up a, a form of currency. There's like a group of, I don't know, eight or ten of them. They all just communicated through email, and they played this game called Magic the Gathering. So they developed this currency, uh, particularly one guy named, he was a, a pseudonym. It was a, it was a name that they're not sure if it was real. They've pretty much figured out that it wasn't the guy's name. But Satoshi Nakamoto was what he went by. No one ever met the guy in person. There's a few people that are pretty sure they know who he was, but he never made himself public. And I think that there's a reason for that. I think that he knew that either the federal government would come after him or he was a member of the federal government and didn't want his uh, identity to be known. So anyway, so they developed a system called Bitcoin, and it's a way to um, basically assign yourself a, 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 a number that represents a coin. And the main thing, the main purpose is to perform a set of calculations in an algorithm that ensures that this coin or this set of numbers is not in two places at one time. And that's also what the central banking system does. You know, when you wire money, it has to go through this, go here, go here, go there, all these places, all these things do to make sure that it, it goes from one ledger to the other and it's not on both at the same time. Because if it was on both at the same time, theoretically, you'd spend money you don't have. So that was the whole purpose of Bitcoin. Um, I think that he probably envisioned it derailing the whole financial system, which it, it may or may not. A cryptocurrency will for sure. Bitcoin still may or may not be the, the catalyst, but it's looking pretty strong. So Bitcoin was designed to be a currency and a store of value. Um, it technically won't be a currency until we actually use it to buy things. So gold for instance, used to be a currency. It transformed into a store of value um, once we stopped trading gold for goods and services. So Bitcoin uh, is now a store of value. You put your money in Bitcoin, 
Uh, it goes up, it goes down, it stays the same, but that's where your money's tied up. Now, Ethereum is a little bit different. Ethereum is designed to operate as a platform, as a, as a server, basically a giant server for people to build apps on and have all different types of um, processing needs met based on a chain of computers that's, that, that is not located together. They're spread out into people's homes all around the world or these big mining setups. You know, when you're, when you're producing a, a coin or Bitcoin, it's called mining. Your computer's doing these algorithms to ensure that everything else is safe. In return for that, you get paid in Bitcoin. That's mining. Now, Ethereum, you, you have what's called validators. So you have the same types of transactions, kind of, or the same, the same setup, kind of, but people are validating these contracts, these if-then contracts. And so they're, they're doing it a little bit differently than the algorithms that Bitcoin's doing it. And at this point, it's starting to get a little bit above my pay scale. So I don't know exactly how, how Ethereum validates things, but I know that it does it in exchange for work, meaning, meaning it, it validates the contracts in exchange for getting paid in Ethereum. What they're working on doing is creating Ethereum 2.0. And what that is, is it's called proof of stake. And it's too, compli too complicated to go in here. I'm not sure if I know it well enough to explain it unless someone was here in person and they could ask questions. But either way, just think of Ethereum as the, um, like a giant server. Okay, so instead of paying for server space at Amazon, you will maybe buy some Ethereum tokens and you will, in exchange, you will have space on the Ethereum network. And how is that better? How does that benefit? Well, it's decentralized, meaning no one can erase it. It doesn't matter if the building that it was in burned down. Um, because of all these computers are working together as one, it's more powerful. It's almost impossible to hack. Um, it's, it's easy to transfer data around the world. And that might sound easy, but we're talking about huge, gigantic functions and files and not, not just like a, a set of plans for a house that we could just email, but a, a giant server that has the ability to do complex tasks that someone can dial into from remotely. And it's going to be big. It's going to be big. People will have access to computing power that they've never had access to. And so up until now, if you have some little kid in Egypt... And he's writing great code and he knows, he knows what he's doing and he's developing things. He doesn't have access to one of these servers, these blockchains. If he did, it would allow him to, to do more and create more and to test more and hypothesize. So I think it's going to change the world in lots of ways. I think it's going to give the ability to, to meet the needs of lenders and borrowers way easier than ever before. And that'll have one of two effects. Number one it'll probably push down interest rates. Because if you have a whole world of people that's willing to, to loan money or half a world are willing to loan and the other half willing to borrow, you have a bigger pool. And so there's more competition for lending and borrowing. And it will naturally push down interest rates. Or maybe they'll raise up. I don't know. But more than likely, they'll come down to what, and the market will establish the, the fair rate. As right now, the Federal Reserve Board they change interest rates and the Fed funds rate based on how they want the economy to act. And so, you know, it could be dangerous. It could backfire. But the potential for backfire 
is something that maybe scares us into a, a state of being where we don't have regulations, right? If you'll remember during the whole GameStop thing, one of the things I said was, we don't need regulations. We just need the hedge fund guys to get popped in the mouth. And so I think a lot of times people overlook how, how efficient fear is as a motivator to not make a bad decision. If we knew that the federal government wasn't going to be there to bail us out, and we knew that they weren't going to inject money into the economy to stimulate us, it would change our decision-making process. Another example I have of this is instead of busting up monopolies, if we gave a leg up to their competition. So, for instance, right now, Apple's under the gun for being a monopoly. And this happens every few years, especially in technology. So they're under the gun. Microsoft was under the gun. These big guys are being accused of, of being too big. So imagine if they knew, hey, guys, if we do anything shady, if we do anything to stifle our competition, the government is going to come in and they're going to subsidize their competition. They're going to give them a leg up on us. And so I feel like the, that example of the, oh, crap, if we're not good, this is going to happen, goes farther than, than destroying what someone has built. So going back to the decentralized lending and borrowing, you know, people might think that we need the federal government to protect lenders so that if someone in South Africa defaults on a loan, we need to make sure that these people aren't making bad decisions and loaning money to people they shouldn't be loaning money to. My response to that is, if I have money and I want to loan it to anyone, whether it can be a bum or Bill Gates, well, I would never loan money to Bill Gates, but if someone wanted to loan money to Bill Gates or a bum, they should have the right to lend it to whoever they want to. They, it's their job to determine the interest rate, the rate of return that's tied to the risk of loaning them money. This is a very simple concept. I don't understand how the government got involved in our financial system. And I realize that there are guys out there that are greedy that take advantage of the system. But those people can be stopped on a case basis. We don't need to put regulations in place to stop bad behavior while punishing other people. And so the only way that other people get punished is that they have money and they can't loan it out because they're not an accredited investor or they're not certified by the government. So you're punishing them. You're saying, well, sorry, you, you can't do whatever you want to with your money uh, because we have your best interest at heart and we don't want you to get ripped off. And the guy who's got the money saying, I don't care if I get ripped off. I have faith in this guy. I have faith in this project. I want to loan him $100,000. No, no, sorry, can't, can't do that. And so there's all these squirrely laws about who can borrow money, who can loan money, who's on the hook. And to me, that just infringes on our right, infringes on our freedom. You know, we have money that we earned that if we want to go to a casino and blow it in one night, the government sure as heck doesn't stop us from doing that. Why do they stop us from loaning it to someone that may default on the loan? I can tell you why. Because all these big banks lobby for rules that make it impossible for us to do the things that they do in the name of protection. You see, these big banks go in there and they say, look, guys, we can't just have loan sharks running around loaning people money. It's dangerous. This is a, this is a nefarious activity. That could be bad. It could really hurt people. And you have people in the government going, oh, yeah, you're right. We need to protect them. We need to make sure they're safe. But in reality, these big banks are just trying to end their competition. And so cryptocurrency is doing everything it can to disrupt that. And it will. 
I, I think that when a new technology presents itself and it's better for everyone, you cannot stop it. I think the same thing will happen with green energy. Just not yet. We're not quite there yet. We don't have batteries. We don't have big power. When it does, you will know it. And we won't need the government to subsidize it. We won't need the government to force it or mandate it or invest in it. It will just happen because we will get to the point where it is better than the internal combustion engine. We can store power longer. We can do more with it. But until then, we can't. We just have to go about doing things the way we want to do them. Now, I admire people like Elon Musk because he's, you know, every year his company doesn't make any money, but he's in it for the long run. He has a vision. He sees it. He understands what it should look like, and he's willing to take a loss to get there. And that's what we need is people like that, people who they're not looking for government subsidies. They're willing to lose money just to, just to see their idea go forward. It's honorable. It's, it shows passion, determination, desire, drive innovation we need more guys like that we need fewer guys like lebron james what why is it that investing has only been something that's extended to the wealthy you know i was never taught about i mean sure my senior year in high school i had a government and economics class and we did a project for a week about the stock market but you know what i thought i thought man not stock markets for rich people there's no way I can participate in the stock market. Fast forward 20 years, look what Robinhood did. Robinhood put the stock market in the hand of the people. And it worked out better for them. How do I know it worked out better? Because they're using it. They're enjoying it. Sure, some people lost money. But you know what? Some people made money. So if there's something that comes out and everyone takes to it, flocks to it, and uses it, it's good. It's a good thing. We shouldn't try to stifle that. So the blockchain technology will extend the ability for people to invest. And on the other side of that investment is probably a borrower. If somebody would have set me down the day I graduated college and said, okay, we're going to have a six-month course on personal finance. I'm going to show you that you don't have to have a lot of extra money to get started. You only need a little bit. You know, I, I say with $100 a month, 25 bucks a week, I don't care what you do, I don't care who you work for, you can afford $25 per week even if you have to cut something out. And so you start that and you see it grow and you see results and you build a habit of investing and saving. If everyone did that, if everyone participated in savings and investing, the world would look different. Well, America would look different, but we don't. We get starstruck by the new things. And hey, listen, I've had every grown man toy under the sun, okay? I'm not preaching I'm sitting here telling you I wish I would have done it different. I've had cigarette boats. I've had sailboats. I've had every kind of gas-powered remote-controlled car you can think of. I've had every kind of tool. I've had tractors. I've had go-karts. I've had dirt bikes. I've had it all. And I, and I enjoyed having those things, but they're temporary. They don't last. And if I could do it all over again, I would have probably given up about three-quarters of all the toys to have a, a nest egg, a solid investment. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm doing okay. I'm not hurting. I'm going to be fine. But I'd be a lot better off had I not wasted all the money on all the toys. And here I am, 43, you know, there's going to be something I'm going to look back on when I'm 53 and say, man, if I'd have known that 10 years ago, fill in the blank. But I just think we, we overlook the importance of personal finance. We don't teach people how good it can be. We don't show them what their money can do. 
instead of showing college graduates, hey, if you invest this much per month, you might make enough interest. You might make enough earnings to help pay for your student loans. What do we do? We just say, no, let's just cancel everybody's debt. Let's just cancel it. Just wipe it off the bucks. What kind of solution is that? What are we teaching kids? We're saying, oh, we feel like you're mature enough to vote. We feel like you're mature enough to go serve in the army. We feel like you're mature enough to buy a car. We feel like you're mature enough to sign on the dotted line to borrow money to go to college, but you're not mature enough to pay it back or, or maybe you weren't mature enough to make that decision. So what are we going to do? We're going to teach people, hey, when the going gets tough, just ask for free things. Ask for it to be wiped away. The people who think that debt just gets wiped away and erased are really pretty silly. Pretty silly. Imagine if you loaned someone money and all of a sudden the government comes along and goes, oh, we're wiping away that debt. What do you, what do you mean? I, I loaned him the money. I took the risk. He borrowed it and he, now he's got to pay it back. This, this is what I do for a living. Yeah, no, mm -mm, we're canceling it. What do you mean you're canceling it? They owe me the money. And you know what? I owe someone else a portion of that money. You can't just cancel it. I know I've talked about student debt on here before, so I'm not going to go too far into that topic. But it all boils down to we don't teach kids about money. Listen, I love my parents to death. They taught me so much. I learned so much by paying attention to what they do and how they do things. I learned what to do. I learned what not to do. I learned how to treat people. I learned how to not treat people. I learned compassion. I learned how to cook brisket and fried chicken. But I was never taught really how to manage money. And you don't have to have a lot of money to gain from knowing how to manage money. If you put your money to work for you, even if it's a little bit, it's better than not. So I don't know. I'm feeling like I'm kind of ranting. The only thing that I would change about my upbringing was that I would have been taught about money and investing. But for some reason, like I said, up until now, it's, we all just kind of thought, well, it's only for rich people. So I'm really glad that we're getting away from that. And I think Bitcoin is going to do that even more. Well, not just Bitcoin, but all the cryptocurrencies and the decentralized finance is, is going to teach us more about money and it's going to make it easier for us to save and invest. So I challenge everyone to run out there and start investing. Pick something. Just pick a stock. Put $100 in it. Reinvest your earnings. Ask me what to do. I'll give you some basic hints, some basic ideas. I'm not going to be your personal financial advisor, but I'll tell you what I think you should do, where you should start. I was talking to a family member, I don't know, a few months ago, and they were like, yeah, I need to, I need to look into that Bitcoin. Yeah, I, just, I need to look into it. And I thought to myself, like, I've been, I've been screaming about this for over a year. Like, why, why just now are we going to look into it? I was talking to a friend of mine who, you know, he's going through the toy stage. He's got all the toys and all the payments and all the debt and all that stuff. And I said, look, dude, you need to get rid of all that. Get rid of all those payments. Start buying rental properties. You know, you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to think, dude, uh, I want to retire in 10 years and I don't really have anything so now what? And I don't know. I don't, I don't wish anyone to be in that position. I feel bad for people that have to work into their 70s. 
you know, but, but I've recently learned that a lot of that could have been avoided had someone started investing early in life. You know, if you have the discipline, it doesn't take a lot, just a little bit. Live below your means, invest your money, and in the long run, it'll pay off. But living below your means is something that most people can't do. And now I remember that I missed a point that I wanted to make when I was talking about Bitcoin. So I know a lot of people have heard the news lately and they think that, oh, Elon Musk tweeted about Bitcoin and the price crashed because he says it's hard on the environment. Listen, Elon Musk knows more about electricity and the environment than just about anyone, probably. This wasn't news to him. He didn't just figure it out. He's been following cryptocurrency since 2017. So I think that Elon Musk gets off on moving the markets around and watching people react to his tweets. Either way, I want to talk about Bitcoin and how it's probably not as hard on the environment as everyone thinks. And that's because people don't understand things, but they do know how to argue when something strikes an emotional chord. And so you've heard all these people Bitcoin is too hard in the environment because um, uh, it uses electricity. Okay, it uses like 10% of the electricity of the commercial banking system. So it doesn't use that much. And so these people think that we should go green energy and just have just solar and wind. And they don't understand that when there's no sun and there's no wind... There's no power, okay? So we've got to have a backup plan. That backup plan is a power plant. It's the same thing that we always use. But for the amount of electricity that you have running on green power, you've got to have the same capacity in that plant so that you can run everything if the green part shuts down because there's no wind or there's no sun. So you have this power plant, and people say, Oh, but it's called burning power plant. It's too dirty. Shouldn't use it. Run bitcoins. Too much power. What are the chances that that these people who say this have any clue how a power plant works? What was the last time that they were at a power plant? Do they understand what kilowatt hours means? Do they know what hydroelectricity is? Do they know the difference between carbon emissions, carbon tax credits? Do they know any of this? No. No, they don't. And I'm not, I'm not someone who knows everything. So what did I do? I went out and did some research. Because it didn't make sense to me. I thought to myself, okay, these power plants that we have, they're bigger than what we need because we need to have extra backup when there's no wind, no solar. So they can produce more electricity than what we're using them for. Okay, well then one might say, well, then what happens if we're running all the Bitcoin mines with the excess electricity and wind dies and the sun goes down? How we produce electricity? We have to shut off the miners. It's not quite like that. A power plant is either running or it's not running. So you're either putting in coal and, and spitting out the ab ability to plug things into it or it's not running at all. So you have a power plant. Let's just say that it's running at 75% because we need to reserve 25% in case the, the green energy goes down. So we need to be able to pick that up. So 
it's running at 75%. Now, if I turn the dial up to 100%, that doesn't necessarily mean that it burns more coal. It just means that it's, it's producing electricity and now it has somewhere to send it. So the machine is running that produces electricity. I can have one thing plugged into it or I can have a hundred things plugged into it. Either way, the machine is running. Think about it like a generator. You crank it up, it's making a terrible sound that no one likes. You plug a hairdryer into it. Does it create more emissions when you then plug a TV into it? So now you've got the hairdryer and the TV? No, it's the same amount of emissions. It's, it's no different. So you're, you're taking the capacity that's been wasted and you're capitalizing on it. You're selling it. Imagine a hurricane comes and all the power's out. And I've got a generator, a huge generator on a trailer. It burns diesel. And I crank it up and I say, all right, I got 10 plugs there. I said, hey, it's a dollar for everyone to plug something in. Everyone comes, first five people come, they each pay me a dollar, they each plug something in. Now I've got five spots left, but there's really no one else on the block who needs power. Everyone's good to go, but I've still got five open spots. So there's a guy who walks by, he's like, hey man, I need some power, but I'm not going to pay you a buck. I'll pay you 50 cents. So I go, okay, you know what? Doesn't cost me any more fuel. It doesn't cost me any more time. My generator's already here. It's already running. I'll tell you what, I'll take your 50 cents. You go ahead and plug in. And so now I can sell the other spots that weren't needed. They wouldn't have been bought at a dollar, but they will be bought at 50 cents. Does it cost me any more diesel? No more fuel? The generator's already running, remember? But now I have an outlet for that electricity. And it just makes sense. And, and the energy companies, they want to see it happen because it, it produces a stable, a line of demand. It doesn't, it doesn't bounce up and down in the winter and the summer because they're consuming so much, they're gonna consume it in the summer and the winter. So you don't realize this, but behind the scenes, there's all kinds of trading going on. These guys are trading energy and future prices and they're, and they're doing this to help hedge the risk of spiked prices. They wanna offset the, the risk of the price jumping around because that's not good for anyone. It's not good for the people who sell electricity and it's not good for the people who buy electricity. So when you have a higher demand, a stable number, you have less volatility, you have less price moving around. That's just like Bitcoin. As it becomes more valuable, it will become less volatile. That's the hope anyways. So that's, I, that's one thing that I wanted to touch on about the Bitcoin and energy because no one's talking about that. All they're doing is saying, oh, yeah, but sometimes but Bitcoin just uses some 70% green energy. None of that matters. All that matters is that it doesn't require extra plants to be built. If we're not building new plants for it, it's using no extra demand. Because remember, the generator's already running. We're already producing power. Man, I'm proud of myself. I don't think I could have made that any more clear. Tell me what you think. Tell me if that makes sense. Tell me what you think about it. If you disagree, I'd like to hear. I, I don't ever hear from anyone anymore. I don't know why. Maybe I rant too much. <laughs> but like I said, I would still record these and I will still put them up even if I get zero listens. Because I feel like someday in the future, this is going to be old, old technology. And I'm going to be talking about things that people were like, oh my gosh, remember when like 
This guy barely even knew what the blockchain was. I mean, how cool would it be to have recordings from someone in the 1700s talking about what they think, what they see, what they're doing, even if it was a stranger? I feel like it would be a cool thing to have. So you can hate me. I don't care. You can be tired of my rants. Just tune me out. I'll pay my $20 a year to put this up on Podbean, and hopefully somebody finds it entertaining. All that being said, I think I'm going to put a bow on this show and wrap it up. If you're still with me, I appreciate you listening. Probably will not be a show next week because I'll be in Miami. I don't know. Harry and I, uh, for those of you that would like to listen to another podcast that I'm in, you can check out Old Dog New Tricks. And the name of the podcast feed is Eskimo Bros 69. I'm going to tell you, though, don't go into it with high expectations because it's nothing more than like um, tuning in on a phone call between me and my cousin Harry. So we've gotten some good feedback. There's some guys who like it. Uh, we've had a couple, a couple beef moments with a few people. But I don't know. It's like three hours, four hours long. And it's just a conversation. Uh, we're, we pretty much prove to each other how dumb we are <laughs> by the time the podcast is over. So I appreciate you listening. I'm going to go finish doing my chores. Back to work tomorrow. I got one day and then I'm out. So thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Brandon Hopper. I encourage everyone to go out there, do your research, question things, ask why. Even if you agree, ask why. Nothing wrong with that. Don't hog the left-hand lane. Let old people go in front of you at the grocery store. Always have a firm handshake. If you have a disagreement with someone, look them in the eyes and smile. Try to never lose your temper, and most of all, keep it tranquilo.
Baby, do that conga. 